and I believe God can do miraculous things. And I realized even though I was growing that whole year and I had a strong faith, I was really mad that God didn't do a miracle and that he had shattered a piece of my life. Welcome back to the Prepare Podcast. We are in season nine of the Prepare Podcast, and we are about to embark on a new series on grief. And I know what some of you might be thinking right now. This is a really heavy topic, and I'm not sure I want to go down this road, but let me just assure you, this is going to be a great series. I really feel led to talk on this topic, and I've got some great guests lined up. So I hope that you will stick with me, come on this journey with me. Our first guest in this series is Captain Catherine Mount. Captain Catherine and her husband Peter are the Corps officers here at the Norwich Citadel Corps in the Chicagoland area, and you are really going to love listening to her tell her story of the grief journey that she has been on losing her dad at a very young age. So here we go. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Captain Catherine. Welcome, Catherine, to our podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we are so excited to have you on our podcast. It's been too long that we have been able to talk and chat and catch up because you and I have known each other a very long time. Yes, yes. Our history goes back to when you were... I think I was probably eight or nine years old when you came into my life. Oh, eight or nine. Okay, well, you were tall for your age. <laughs> I was. I still am. Yes. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So our families have known each other pr- practically before we were all born, and so we've kind of grown up in the Salvation Army together and known each other a really long time. And I consider you a friend, a good friend, and I'm so glad that we have this chance just to talk on our podcast today. You too. It is a privilege to be on the Prepare Podcast. Thank you. All right, so we're just going to get right into it. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're doing now, your family, your current appointments, brag on your kids, do whatever you want to talk about. All right. So yes, my name is Catherine. My husband, Peter, and I are the Salvation Army officers at the Norwich Citadel Corps in Chicagoland. Peter and I have been officers for almost 15 years, which seems crazy because wow. most of the time I still feel like a 12-year-old <laughs> pretending to be an adult. <laughs> But then I realize I'm not when I have a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old who right. are giants in their own right. My husband and I are both tall folks, so we like to joke that we are breeding giants. <laughs> but our boys, Benjamin uh, and Jacob, are just, they're so much fun. They just, they really bring light and love to our life. And I love seeing how Jesus works in them and in our family. So yeah, it is my privilege to be an officer, to be a mom, to be a wife and, and to serve and help people that come in my sphere of influence. Love it. So again, I've known you for a really long time, but just, just give us a little backstory into how you came up, where you went to school. I know you studied abroad, like just give us a little, little snapshots of your life up to now. So I grew up in the Salvation Army. My parents were Salvation Army officers. I had grandparents that were Salvation Army officers. So it's really my heritage, what I've been a part of my whole life. I'm the youngest of four children. I have a sister who's 11 years older, a brother who's seven years older, and a brother who's three three years older. And I love my family. And we moved all around as officers' kids. So that was a part of our life experience. I 
moved to Chicago to go to college, to university, and I went to DePaul University and studied history. And I got the privilege to study abroad in England for a semester where I met my husband, Peter. This is his least favorite joke, but I like to say that he's my souvenir, <laughs> best souvenir ever. Um, but we met, met at the Salvation Army in England, and we also had classes together at university at the University of Sheffield. So we are a multicultural family, even though we don't look like it. Mm -hmm. But often we need an uh, interpreter, someone to translate. <laughs> but Peter's been here for like 20 years, so it's it's gotten much better. But um, And we've lived in Chicago, in Pekin, Illinois was our first appointment. Yep. And then our second appointment was at the Grand Rapids Croc Center. And then we were in Royal Oak, Michigan for seven years. And now we're at Norwich. Wow. Hopefully for another six, if anybody's listening who has influence with that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah, I, I second that. I'll put in a good word. <laughs> we just like to have you near. That's right. Okay, moving on. So you are a Salvation Army officer, full-time ministry. Tell us a little bit about your calling to officership. When you first feel, felt called, when God started speaking, the Holy Spirit started speaking to your heart about being an officer. I really loved that I grew up in a family where we were all always a part of ministry. And so that had a really big influence. And I was the nine-year-old at a commissioning or at a Congress who would go on the stage at the call to officership. Yes. I'd be like the little kid who didn't look like a little kid because I was so tall. But I would say, yes, this is what I want to do. I want to do what my mom and dad do. I love this so much. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I got older, it was probably about the time I was, I mean, in high school and I started attending territorial camps and I started having an understanding that when it came to ministry, that there were a lot of other things you could do besides be a Salvation Army officer. And so by the time yeah. I was in high school, I realized, okay, I don't know that I want to be an officer, but I know that I want to serve. I know that professionally, I want to be in a ministry role professionally as my vocation. And so when I was in high school and early college years, I was like, okay, I don't know if it's officership, but it's always been on the table. Since I was a little kid, I did feel a call and a draw to serve in that way because I love the Salvation Army and I loved watching other officers and what they did. So then I met Peter when I was probably 19 or 20. I think I was 19 and he absolutely had a firm calling to officership. Okay. So then I'm like, mm -hmm. do I even date this boy? Should I? Right. But, you know. He's 6'5 and an English accent. I had to see where this would go. <laughs> and it wasn't long before I had fallen in love. And I knew that there was nothing more than the Lord would want for us than to serve in ministry together. Mm. And the Salvation Army, I think, is the best place in the world to serve together as a husband and wife. Because you truly can work out your gifts together and serve in that way. So I was a young adult when it was confirmed that that is what um, the Lord wanted me to do. And, and then I came back and finished. My mom said I had to finish school before I got married. So I finished school. I married Peter and we went to training. Wow. That's amazing. And then when were you in training after that? Uh, we, we waited a year. We wanted to be married a little bit before we went. And so we got married in the spring and then we went to training about a year and a half later. Wow. All right. So there are there's some events, though, that took place during all of that. Yep. 
during all of that time when you felt called to be an officer to when you got married and fulfilled that calling. So let's fill in some blanks there. Your mom and dad were stationed in, were they in Indiana? Yep, Elkhart, Indiana. And I remember receiving a call to pray uh, for your dad and your brother Jamie and what had just happened. So why don't you go ahead and take us down that road and tell the story of um, your dad? Yeah. Let me start the story with my parents met when they were nine and 12 years old in Michigan City, Indiana at the Corps there. My grandparents moved to the Corps to be the officers and my mom's family attended the Michigan City Corps. And as a nine-year-old, my mom met Bill Shields and she said to her girlfriend, I'm going to marry that Bill Shields one day. (laughs) Uh, And she didn't realize my grandmother then was in earshot, my grandma Shields, and just laughed. Well, that came true. My mom and my dad got married at a young age, right out of school, and um, were officers, were out of the work for a little bit, and then came back when I was three years old. So in 1997, they were transferred to Elkhart, Indiana, as the Corps officers, And we moved there in July. And this is the only move with me. All my other siblings had moved out of the house at this point in time. And my brother Jamie came home at the end of that summer because he had just graduated from college. So the day after the kettle kickoff, so it would have been mid-November, my dad and brother were on the way to meet my mom for lunch. And they had a car accident, a, a really bad car accident. And um, the only person involved, I think there was one, two, three, four, four or five cars involved, but the only person injured and incredibly injured was my dad. So they go to the hospital, the family comes in, and my dad was in a coma for two weeks, and then he was promoted to glory. Hmm. So he never woke up from the coma. He had severe injuries along the entire one side of his body, but there was also a an incredible head wound that I think ultimately is why it never came out of the coma, lack of oxygen, all those kinds of things. So my brother was driving the car and my dad was in the passenger seat. And that obviously rocked our worlds. Yeah. So Jamie was at home at the time. You know, kettles were just starting. I was a sophomore in high school. My brother Amos had just graduated from high school and was working in St. Louis and planning a wedding. Right. And my sister was living in Lansing, Michigan with her husband and their two small children. So our world was just rocked in an incredible way. Yeah. And you just never anticipate anything like that. Mm. You don't anticipate um, a shockwave hitting you personally. And it doesn't just affect our family. It affects the extended family, my grandparents, our friends, People, anyone who met my dad, he was a big personality. Oh, yeah. I would call him uh, an extrovert, joy-filled adventurer who loved Jesus. And he might even love the Holy Spirit more than Jesus. I don't know if you can have favorites (laughs) in the Trinity, but he loved, loved the Salvation Army Holiness Doctrine as well. So, yeah, that was an impact that, that changed my life, that changed everyone in my family's life. And it was really, really interesting to see how everyone responded differently with grief and with loss. And this is obviously just my perspective. Mm -hmm. But when you experience a loss like that, first you're in the waiting, the two weeks he was in the hospital, 
I had my driver's permit and my job that first weekend was when someone arrived to the house to drive them to the hospital. Cause I knew I got all my hours in those two weeks, I tell you, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but um, right. the waiting and then, and then when he finally died and then how you deal with that grief, it, it's a, how it affects everybody is different. But when you look back at something like that, I think of those coming up years my parents, both of them are very intentional about discipling us. Yeah. And I remember my mom saying to me, this would have been a couple months after my dad passed away, where she said, you know, I want you to know that your dad said he was done with you. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> he... Oh man. <laughs> and she said he had made a comment to me in the summer when we moved that I think I've done what I can. I think she's ready. Wow. <laughs> this 15 year old girl. Wow. I think I had the benefit of having three older siblings and experiencing everything he got to teach them too. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that impacted all of us in an incredible way. And it continues to as well. Yeah. Were you around the bedside when he passed? No, in fact, it was early. It was, I think it was on a Wednesday or Thursday morning. Well, it was December 4th, whatever day that was. And we had gone home and I, I remember eating bre- breakfast at the kitchen table before school, and um, and I knew it was the hospital, and they asked for my mom, and I knew as soon as I took that call and gave the phone to my mom, I'm like, oh, he's gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because everyone had come home and then gone, and then everyone came home again then for the funeral, because you you didn't know we didn't know when he was in a coma, you know, you're praying for a miracle, you're praying for hope, you're praying that he would be healed. And you just didn't know. So you were waiting. Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the difficult things when I think about the loss and the grief for a long time in my own personal grief journey. And also I'm 15 years old. So is my brain even developed at this point? I don't know. Right. I was really involved in activities at school. I played sports. I was involved at the core. And I really felt like I was still growing in my faith. Just earlier that summer, I had been to CBLI and I had fallen in love with studying God's word. So there were so many beautiful things happening in my life. And I continued, even after my dad died, I continued in that growth and getting to know God and drawing to near God, growing in my faith. But it wasn't until the following summer at CBLI where I responded to an altar call and I realized how angry I was at God. Wow. I was so angry that he didn't heal him because you know he can do it. Like here I am 15 years old. I'm a young woman of faith. And I believe God can do miraculous things. And I realized even though I was growing that whole year and I had a strong faith, I was really mad. Yeah. I was really mad that God didn't do a miracle and that he had shattered a piece of my life and that I had that hole in my heart. And what's interesting for me in my grief, one of the hardest things in my personal grief journey was just witnessing my mom's own brokenness. Yeah. Mm. She has always been a strong, capable, incredible woman. Oh, yeah. She stayed in that appointment. It remained a core officer for three years uh, so I could finish high school there. 
I mean, running the core by yourself. But here's the thing. She loved my dad since she was nine years old. Right. Never kissed another man. Never had a true love besides Bill Shields. And so that was one of the hardest things. And she did great in caring for me and my siblings and keeping a lot of her grief, you know, protecting us from that. But we all know she adored him. We all know that, you know... Bill Shields was who she loved. And so watching, knowing just her own pain, her heartache, that was hard. That was hard. Oh, yeah. And we all did our best, you know, to grieve in our own way. I remember sitting at a restaurant once and it was my mom and my brother, Jamie, and I, it was probably three months after my dad had died. And we were just talking about something. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, all three of us are crying. Oh, my God. We're just sitting at the table. And then you cry laughing because you feel like, (laughs) what are all these emotions? And then, you know, you try and solve it with humor. Yeah. Um, But you don't know when it's going to hit you. Even now, there will be days where I'll see something or I'll experience something, or especially with my children or with my husband, who never got to know my dad personally. Yeah where you you grieve and the wound is open again. Yeah. But in all of it, that summer when I recognized and I named my emotion and how I was feeling towards God, that I was angry at him, I felt such a relief. Mm. When I admitted it and I told the Lord how I felt and then I knew that he still loved me. Yes. Yes. It was, I don't, I have not been angry at God since. I've not been angry at God when things haven't happened the way I've wanted them to happen. I haven't been angry when circumstances don't work out for how I want them to happen or when someone doesn't like me, you know, when things I can't control. I really have not struggled with anger towards God since I've been released from it. Yeah. And then in my grief, you know, you still get sad sometimes. You still have a hard day. But um Sometimes I, you know, I'm not mad that my kids don't know my dad. It's just sad. Yeah. And there are, yeah. there's probably times when you think, I wish my dad were here to see this or I w- my dad would have loved this or, you know, like just those yeah. little moments. Yeah, absolutely. I even, I thought about that a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, oh, I would just love to have my father-in-law and my dad in the same room. They would just have such a great time. It would be ridiculous. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know what kind of crazy adventures we'd be on, but. And then, do you know what else I'm reminded of? As I get older, there's a lot of my dad in me. Yes. And sometimes, you know, I have the mannerisms of my mother. I know people will see me and they're like, oh, you're obviously related to Barbara Shields. <laughs> yes. Someone told me the other day, I reminded them so much of my grandma Nellie. And I was like, I've never heard oh that. And gosh. I love that. I hope it's not because of the double chin. I hope <laughs> I, it's because <laughs> I love your grandma Nellie. She's so me great. too. And so when someone told me that, I was like, "Oh, that is like the best compliment I've ever gotten." Yes. Oh. So it's that sort of thing. And you know, my grandparents have passed away since then, and that was another. I mean, watching my grandparents grieve—you yeah. never expect to lose a child. I mean, they were different. It broke something in them for sure. Mm-hmm. And how it affects people and how people respond are different. I continued to make choices and I let let and wanted my dad to influence me, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't here. Mm-hmm. And so I'd think about him, you know, when I'm making a decision about school or traveling abroad or anything like that. But, you know, it's weird. 
what your mind does in grief because there's parts of me too that plays the what if game yeah. of well what if my dad was still here would yeah. I have studied abroad yeah I don't know that I would have I think he would have pushed me to play basketball in college and so I wouldn't have even gone to that school or would he would he have counseled me different and would I have made a decision differently or so that is a weird thing with grief and a weird thing to experience of oh why am I making decisions or how would it be different? And can I say I'd do anything to get my dad back? Well, I really love my life. Yeah. And if it would change, so my dad would be back here with me and not in glory with Jesus. Well, I don't know that I would want it to change. And the experience of losing him and at a young age, having to deal with grief, it absolutely had an impact on me yeah. and affected me. Mm-hmm. And I remember being in a grief counseling group in my high school, you know, it was like a group therapy, group talk kind of thing. And I remember just thinking, I'm really different from everybody else here. And the reason why is because I had faith. Yeah. I had a coping mechanism for how to respond, for how to sit in my lament mm. and my sadness and still have hope. Yes. And I remember sitting in those groups and being like, Nobody else in the circle has this. And this is why they're drowning in it. Wow. Yeah. And so that's, you know, a 16-year-old kid. And that doesn't mean you don't have hard days, but I believe in the promises that the word tells me and that the Holy Spirit gives comfort. My mom, I would love to this. And this came from that season. She describes the prayer support during that season when my dad was in the hospital of feeling like she was wrapped in bubble wrap. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've heard her say that. Yeah, she would say the the prayers of other people. It was like she had a layer of protection because she was fragile. Yeah. I mean, she could have cracked at any moment. And yet the prayers that she knew a world was praying for her, yeah. that it, it gives you that comfort. So, yeah. And I can imagine you being fortunate to be having been raised in a Christian home and brought up yeah. in the faith and having the Lord solidify that in your heart at a very young age, really, you want to talk about bubble wrap, Yeah, <laughs> that bubble yeah, wrap around your sure. heart, you know, and just keeping you, keeping you in step, allowing God to cultivate that faith. And I mean, it could have torn you, tore you apart. Well, and it and it does. I mean, I as an officer, as a pastor to people, the greatest privilege of being a Salvation Army officer is that folks invite you into the most private moments of their life. Mm. The great ones, like everybody loves a new baby. Yeah. <laughs> but also the really difficult ones of marital strife, of death, of loss, of mental health crisis. Yeah. Like you're invited into these most private things and it's really a sacred sacred gift in ministry. But so I witness people who can't cope, even when you do have faith and you do have the language to articulate how you're feeling, because I think it reminds us that this is not home. Mm. Uh, suffering is a part of reality for every single person on earth, yeah. because Satan still does have dominion on earth. And although God works and his Holy Spirit works, we have free will. So bad stuff happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and sometimes accidents just happen. Yeah. A bad health diagnosis, a car accident. This is the world we live in. But knowing and learning how to cope 
it's only a tool to get us to glory. Like, this is the beautiful thing. The reason I can cope with hardship now is what is happening is temporal. It's not eternal. And so I know I'm going to see my dad again. I know that I'm going to be free of pain or grief. And I know I'm going to have that wholeness again. And that this time, it's just a time. Yeah. It is a short time, even though it feels like forever. When you're in grief, it feels like you're at the bottom of a pit that you can never get out of. But just slowly and trying to remember the hope through the promises of God's word, through fellowship, man, that is the worst when somebody dies or you experience a loss and you're just like, I've got to see people. They're going to want to talk about it. Or I'm going to see people. They're going to ask me how I'm doing. And you know... I wasn't allowed to say the word sucks when I was a kid. (laughs) (laughs) We weren't either. I hope my mom doesn't listen to this. Yes, that's right. (laughs) But sometimes when you're in grief, it just sucks. There's nothing you can do. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. And, you know, people just want to be encouraging. And sometimes the only thing that helps is the ministry of presence. Yes. Just sitting in, in the yuck. When I'm working with someone who's grieving, I'll ask, I'll be explicit. I said, I'll say, do you want me to help with distraction or do you want to sit and talk about it or do you want to just sit and be quiet? And maybe they can't even respond to that. And that's okay. Then you're just present and you do your best to guess how to be there. Yeah. I think just showing some effort is good, but I do think as difficult as maybe being with people is after loss, Mm. it's important. Oh, yeah. One of my greatest memories of, I know for my mom, I've heard her talk about it, and I remember it as a 15-year-old, but Heather, you would have been in this group of young people who just, after the funeral, laughed and told stories and were a ridiculous bunch of young adults. Like, I remember Mm -hmm. coming home, and we had this tri-level house, and it was just full of bodies. Yep. And full of laughter and full of tears. And it was a celebration in the grief. Grief is still, that's why in the Salvation Army, we say, I love promotion to glory and celebration Mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. Peter and I have talked about our funeral someday, and this is going to be on the record for everybody now. I want it to be a pancake breakfast. (laughs) I love syrup. I mean, pancakes are the vehicle for the syrup. I love it. I know, because we can't just pour ourselves a cup of syrup and drink it. (laughs) I'm saying just like right down the hatch. That's amazing. But, you know, like, or Heather, you and I, we were both at the Celebration of Life for Sharon Smith. I loved it. It was such a beautiful celebration of how God worked. Yeah. And so the grief is so hard and it hits like waves, but we have a good God. Yeah. Yes, we do. And to be reminded of that, we need people Mm. to walk in grief alone. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody responded the same in my family. We all adored my father. And both of my brothers, one was getting married like six weeks later, and the other one was falling in love. Yes. And I think that is what, obviously, they had to do the work of their own grief, but I think that's what... Falling in love, that really helps ball the, the balm of your soul. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so I think that really helped with their grief. Mm. And then my sister, she did not cope well at all. 
she really she really fell apart. She fell into addiction. And it led to a 10-year journey that was really, really dark and then carried with it more and more loss. Yeah. But I am happy and proud to say that she is the victory. Amen. She has been sober for, I want to say, like six or seven years at least now, if not wow. more than that. And she is she's living and she's healthy and well. That's amazing. But the grief of losing my dad, it broke her. Yeah. And so then going down that path is difficult. It was really difficult. Yeah. And can we just stop for a minute and just say that that's sometimes the journey? Yeah. And although you can pray and hope that that's not the journey, but sometimes it is. And it's like, I just feel like someone listening to this right now may be in the pit. Yeah. And um, that's, it did break break them. And it's okay. It's okay to be broken. We just don't want you to stay that way. God doesn't want you to stay that way. Yeah. You just have to take the next step. I was talking with a girlfriend last year and we were talking about holiness and about living a holy life. And I, I told her about my own motivation is I am responsible for what I can be responsible for. And so when I'm making choices, when I'm making decisions about anything, I have the, that cognitive ability to be like, okay, what's the next right step? Right. Now, this probably weren't expecting this turn, but I love, there's a song in Frozen 2 uh, in the Disney movie yes. that Anna sings. It's when she's in the cave. Yes. And like, I can't remember what the lyric is. I think it's like, do the next right thing might be the lyric. It's something like that. And it is, when it comes to grief, that song is an anthem. Oh my gosh. Yes. But I love that. And you know, it's interesting. Music is powerful Mm. in healing. Mm -hmm. When, after my dad died, I would listen on repeat to Pachelbel's Canon. Wow. (laughs) Just over and over again. You know, it's kind Mm. of this haunting melody. I mean, it's associated with weddings. I didn't know that then, but it was this tune that would just it would sit with my heart in the grief and I would just listen to it. And the other song is from the Anastasia movie. Uh, it's the lullaby song. And I would just listen to that over and over again because yeah. it was music that expressed through those notes how I was feeling. It's powerful. Yeah. And and part of that is doing things. My dad loved music, but but doing things in that grief journey that help you help you grieve, that help you sit in it, but help you take take a next step. You know, I don't want my life to be set in a minor key forever. Right. But there are moments where that is what it is. Yeah. And there's a, this is going to sound strange, but this is my own, coming from my own experience. There's a little bit of a comfort in that minor key as well, yeah. that it's okay to feel those feelings. Absolutely. A lot of times we want to push them away and say, no, I, I don't I don't want to feel that. But a lot of times it's okay, even years, years and years later, to revisit that and, and sit there for a minute. Because that's you've ex- this is something that you've experienced and you've come through it. Yeah. And and you're not going back to that grief necessarily. You're looking at a at it from a place of victory. Yeah. You know, it's it's different. I think that's the hard thing about grief too, is And this could be grief for any situation. You do the work. Like there's work to be done. Because otherwise the danger is if you just hold on to that loss 
is that it can turn into a root of bitterness if you don't deal with it. We have to deal with how we're feeling about things. We have to deal with the losses that we experience. Mm. And there's obviously a lot of great tools out there to do that. Because if you don't, it, it does, honestly, it becomes a festering wound in your heart. And I know that's a gross analogy, but it's what it is. If we don't do the work, like if you think about having a cut on your arm, if we don't do the work of healing it, then it's never going to get better. And you might have to cut the arm off and it just gets worse and worse. But when you do the work, you're always going to have that scar. Hmm. You're always going to have the memory. I think what the hardest thing about grief is, is it feels like that wound can be reopened anytime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is like, oh, Lord, why do you allow this? I did all this hard work. How come I have these feelings again? And sometimes you have to do all the work all over again. Sometimes it heals a lot faster, but you just have to care for it. Yeah. Well, and I know you're familiar with that verse. I believe it's 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about, you know, we have suffered and gone through these things so that we can be a comfort to someone else. Absolutely. And so sometimes God does remind us of our pain, reminds us of the journey that we've been on to prepare us for someone coming into our life who may need us to to identify yeah. with them in that grief, in that trauma, in that whatever. Yeah. One, one of my prayers since I was young, and I don't remember where I picked up this language. I feel like I was in my 20s when someone said it like this. But one of my things that I pray for is that God would redeem my memories. He redeems me yes. in my salvation. But when I you go through something difficult, you want them to redeem your memories yeah. so that I can talk about losing my dad. I can talk about all the different losses in my life without completely losing it. Sometimes I still completely lose it yeah. because I mm-hmm. you're sitting in the grief. But when we let him redeem our memories, you can use them, like you were saying, to bring others along. We have to share our testimonies because the problem is some people are walking through losses and grief and they feel so alone yeah now everyone experiences loss differently but the common denominator is that it's horrible so although the situation might be different the relationship might be different your age and life might be different loss is loss Mm -hmm. and so being able to share our stories not so that we can say this is how you should heal Mm -hmm. but sharing our stories so that you can say look i survived Yes. I made it. I have made it through this, and you can too. That's beautiful. Oh, what a testimony. What what an inspiration that you are. Um, I really appreciate you because whether you realize it or not, you have laid out the groundwork for this series just in in the things that you have said. So I am so grateful. Is there anything, do you want to give anyone a a word of encouragement or say anything to anyone who might be sitting right there with you in this grief right now? Yeah, my go-to verse, well, for mental health, whether you're dealing with grief or anything, any kind of loss right now is Philippians 4.8, which Paul tells us, uh, first in verse four, he starts with rejoice. Don't forget to have joy. Mm-hmm. And he tells us not to worry about anything, to give all of our prayers and petitions to the Lord. And then he tells us what to do with our mind. He tells us to think on things that are lovely, that are pure, that are praiseworthy, that are excellent, that are true, that are noble. Not in that order. That was the Catherine mm-hmm. Mount paraphrase. <laughs> yes. 
but he gives us this tool of how to work on the battlefield of our mind. So, I mean, maybe you're experiencing conflict and that's taking over your mind. Maybe you're walking in loss and grief and that's taking over your mind right now. Then take Philippians 4.8 and maybe take a paper and pen and list out, okay, Lord, remind me what is pure. Remind me what is true. Remind me what is praiseworthy. Remind me what I can be thankful for. And what that is doing is that is reminding you of who God is. Yes. Those are characteristics of God. Right. And, and he's saying, let me remind you who I am and who I am to you, that I love you, that you're going to be okay, that I'm with you. And that when we think of things that are pure, lovely, true, noble, praiseworthy, uh, excellent, it helps us take all the other stuff going on in our mind and set it aside yeah. and remember who God is. Mm. And I think whatever anyone's walking through today could be any kind of loss. When we remember who God is, that is what will help us make the next right choice. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Catherine, thank you so much for coming on today and for being a part of this series and this discussion. Like I said, you've laid the groundwork for us. We've taken the first step and, um, Someone out there listening today has heard the voice of God through you today. So I I appreciate your vulnerability, your braveness, all of those things that come along with sharing, sharing the hurt and the things in our hearts, the things sometimes that we want to keep hidden, but it's good to talk about. So I appreciate you. Thank you so much, friend. I love you. I love you too. This has been a great start to our series. I appreciate Captain Catherine coming on and sharing from her heart today. I loved what she said about looking for those things in scripture, the noble things, the pure things, the good things, the admirable things, and reminding ourselves that those are attributes of God. So when we think on those things, we're thinking about God. What an amazing testimony. Thank you, Captain. And as we continue on through this tender series on grief. Be in prayer as I interview more people on this topic. And thank you so much for listening. That's all for today. The Prepare Podcast is a production of the Salvation Army USA Central Territory Women's Ministries Department. And I am your host, Heather Hanton. And I hope that this podcast has left you feeling prepared and equipped for tomorrow. I'll see you soon. God bless you.